Today's scripture reading is taken from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 to 14, and verses 32 to 40. Verse 1. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and rules that I am teaching you, and do them, that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people, and understand... <clears throat> Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people, for what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children, how on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice, and he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules, that you might do them in the land that you are going over to possess." Let's move on to verse 32. For us now of the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and us from one end of heaven to the other, whether such a great thing as this has ever happened or was ever heard of, did any people ever hear the voice of a God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God, there is no other besides him. Out of heaven, he let you hear his voice, 
that he might discipline you. And on earth, he let you see his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after them, and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than you, to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance. As it is this day, know therefore today, and lay it to your heart, that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. Therefore, you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Thanks, Shuhi, for reading scripture to us. Let's join our hearts and pray together. Let's all pray. Indeed, Father, there is none like you. You are the God who saves. You are the God who has made the heavens and the earth. Father, as we come to you, we bow down and worship. We pray that you would open our hearts by your Spirit. We ask that you would speak to us through your word. Give us ears to hear. Help us to be hearers and doers of your word. Prepare us to receive your truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the uh, big things happening in the news this past few weeks has been generational change. I think even in the papers today, there was mention of uh, generational change happening in Singapore politics. I think we're in the midst of uh, having a new cabinet that will soon be announced. Uh, even on the opposition party side, there is generational change happening. And I read somewhere that for the first time in 17 years, uh, Lo Tia Kang will no longer lead the opposition after about 17 years. Uh, generational change is happening all the time. I think we even saw it this morning with the family dedication, a new generation being born, a new generation rising up, the old generation kind of handing on uh, the reins, passing over the reins. Generational change is happening everywhere, in our families, in our workplaces, in our church. And it's inevitable because we all grow old. Uh, no one can stop time. You know, we're either part of the generation that has gone before or we are part of the generation that will be coming after. You know, but every generation that comes and goes asks the same questions. You know, will the new generation stay the course? Will the new generation build on past success? Will the new generation learn from past mistakes? Now, these are the questions that I wonder about when I uh, parent my two sons, Zachary and Ian. You know, I, I wonder what's in store for them as they grow older, as they grow up through life. Uh, you know, Claire and I, we, we pray constantly that as Zachary and Ian grow up, we pray that they will know Jesus and follow Him and love Him. We pray that they will, Lord willing, grow up to become men who truly love the Lord. We pray also that uh, God will, if, you know, in His will, provide them with uh, godly wives who love the Lord. We, we wonder these questions for them. You know, where, what's in store for them? Will they uh, stay the course? Will they grow up to be men who truly love the Lord? In Deuteronomy, Israel is in the midst of the same kind of generational change. 
Over the past 40 years, Moses has led Israel from Egypt to Mount Sinai, where God first gave them His law. And then God has led, or rather, God through Moses has led Israel through the wilderness. And now at last, they, they get to the edge of the promised land. They can just about see the, the promised land across the border, Canaan. And this is a new generation of Israelites that, that are gathered next to the promised land uh, with Moses. And almost all of the previous generation have perished, except for a few people. And everyone's wondering, you know, as this new generation gathers, how will this new generation do? How will they do? Will they do better than the previous generation? So what does Moses do? As he, as he sees this great multitude of people, what does Moses do? As a faithful pastor, Moses preaches, and he also sings some songs as well. So Deuteronomy, you know, the, the word Deuteronomy, you know, it doesn't, it's not, not a great title for the book, actually. Uh, it, it means second law, but sometimes when we think of the word Deuteronomy, we think that it's a really boring book, just a whole list of laws, nothing more than that. But Deuteronomy, is, it's a really rich book. Uh, it, it's actually a collection of Moses' sermons. Uh, there are probably at least three sermons and a song written by Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. So as you come to the book of Deuteronomy, you're actually reading sermons. You're not reading a list of laws, but you're reading sermons. And these are sermons that Moses is preaching to Israel. It's his farewell address to Israel before, because he knows that he's going to die. Moses knows that he's not going to make it to the promised land. So this is his farewell speech to the people that he loves. Deuteronomy 1 verse 1, you know, these are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness. So before he dies, Moses wants to encourage God's people, wants to give strength to them. And this is really Deuteronomy's big idea. You know, the, the message of Deuteronomy is really this, a call for God's people to be faithful to God, to trust and obey Him. You know, this really is the big idea of the book of Deuteronomy. So as we come to Deuteronomy, this is also God's word to us. So we're meant to listen to Deuteronomy as if Moses is preaching to us. These are words for us. Because we face the same questions as well that the generation of Israelites faced at the border of Canaan. Will we remain faithful to God until the end? You know, like Israel, we, we've, we haven't arrived yet. You know, we're still looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth. We haven't arrived in the promised land yet. We still wait for Jesus to come back and bring us home with Him. Therefore, as we wait, God is calling us to persevere, to remain faithful, to continue to believe, belong, and to behave as the people of God. So from now to the end of May, we'll be working our way through the first 11 chapters of Deuteronomy to hear how God wants us to live as His people. Today, we'll be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 1 to 4. Now, these chapters are Moses' first sermon in this book. Now, obviously, we won't have time to go through every single detail in these four chapters, but I just want to highlight three encouragements, three exhortations for us to remain faithful to God. Number one, know our mission. Know our mission. Now, why is it so important for Israel to be faithful to God? Now, of course, we can say that Israel's obedience is good for Israel itself. You know, as they obey, they get blessed, 
they receive God's blessings of life in the land. They, they, they enjoy God's presence with them. So all these things are true, but there's an even greater purpose, even, even greater reason why Israel is called to be obedient and faithful to God. And it's because of who they are. It's because of what they were redeemed for. You know, God did not save Israel from Egypt just to give them a happy life. Israel has a much higher calling than that. They were, they were supposed to be the center of God's plan to save the world. I mean, that, that's how important Israel is to God's purposes. God, God redeemed Israel for His glory. Israel was set apart as a holy nation to be different from the rest of the world in order to reach the world. By living according to God's word and His ways, Israel was to show the other nations, to, to be a life example to the other nations, what, to, to show the other nations what God is really like. And this was Israel's mission, to display the glory of God among the nations. Listen, listen to what Moses says in chapter 4, verses 6 to 8. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples. Now, their lives were meant to be this open book, to be read and seen by the nations around them. Now, so that when the nations hear all these statutes that Israel is obeying, they will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon Him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? You see, when Israel obeyed, when, when Israel was faithful to God, Israel was being a faithful representative of God to the world. And when the other nations looked at Israel, they were supposed to see not just Israel, but they were supposed to see God Himself. They were supposed to see God's goodness, His wisdom, His righteousness. And they were meant to see God's nearness to His people. They, they, went, they meant to look at Israel and say, wow, God is really with you. Because we see that in your life, that God is with you. You know, like Israel, we have been redeemed to be God's people for His glory. Now, God doesn't just save us to give us comfortable, happy lives. No, God has a higher calling for each one of us, for all of us as the church. Now, this is our mission. We, we're called to glorify God among the nations by living as God's people. Uh, this, this broadens our understanding of missions. You know, oftentimes, we think of missions as something that a small group of people do somewhere else in the world. That's true, but that's not the only way the Bible thinks about missions. Missions begins with us, every single one of us as God's people. It begins with how we live here in this place that God has put us. We're all on mission together as God's people, not just the missionaries we support, but all of us. The, the church is a people on mission. This is who we are by identity. Now, by pursuing truth, by living lives of love, holiness, peace, righteousness, justice, you know, not just in church, but in our workplaces, in our families, in society, 
we, we show the world that God is with us and that His ways are good. And our, and our life together as a church should point people to this God, to Jesus. You know, missions is not just go and tell. Missions is also come and see. Right? There's this sort of two-directional uh, thing going on with missions. It's go and tell, but also come and see. Come where? Come to the people of God. Come and see what God is like. No, Grace Baptist Church, you know, do, you real, do we realize that we are God's advertisement? We are God's advertisement in the world. You know, sometimes you have friends who ask you, I don't see God, where's He? You know, the, the biblical answer is that yes, you can see Him. How? By seeing His people. We are God's billboard in the world. So how we live, how we treat one another, says a lot about God. That's the truth of Scripture. You know, we either say good things about God or we say false things about God. But we're always saying something about God, depending on how we live and how we treat one another. I like telling the story of my friend Bill. Bill became a Christian later in life. You know, he, was, he was quite old when he became a Christian. I think he was probably at least in his 50s or if not 60s. So I got to know Bill when, while Claire and I lived in the US. Bill was a retired university professor uh, from, a, you know, from, from a, sort of quite a progressive, uh, liberal kind of university. And, and Bill never imagined that he would become a Christian. I mean, you know, he grew up in, in circles that were you know, very far removed from Christian circles. So he never imagined that he would become a Christian, let alone uh, you know, follow Jesus, give his life to Jesus. So Bill didn't expect to go to church, but a friend invited him, so Bill showed up at church one Sunday. And then what attracted him to church, not just to go once, but to go back again and again, what attracted him was the love that these group of Christians had for one another. And, and not just for one another, but for him as well. You know, Bill, funnily enough, started finding himself in the company of Christians. And, and these Christians were, were going out of their way to know him, not just know him socially, but to, but to really know him, to find out who he is, to, to spend time with him, to, to love him as someone made in God's image. And, and these Christians who started reaching out to him, they were different from Bill. You know, Bill was an older man. You know, he, he came from quite different circles. But these Christians, some of them, many of whom were younger, they were reaching out to him and just spending time with him, trying to get to know him. And amazingly, God used this to help convince Bill of the truth of Christianity. Why? Because Bill, Bill just couldn't explain why this group of people, you know, this diverse group of people from different backgrounds, with different ages, different interests, why on earth would these group of people be loving one another? And why on earth would this group of people be loving him? He just couldn't explain it. And over time, God used that powerfully in his life to just convince Bill that you know, this, is, this must be true. Because I see love so tangibly that I don't see anywhere else in the world. This must be true. There's something different that's happening in this community. That's what it means to be on mission, my friends. That's, that's what it means to be a people who reflect God, who, who say to the world, come and see. Come and see. 
So how do we as a church fulfill our mission to display God's glory and make His gospel attractive? Just two things. Love widely and love deeply. Love widely, love deeply. What does it mean to love widely? It simply means we love others who are different from us. We love widely. Not, not just our narrow circles of our good friends or people who are like us, but, but we expand the context of our love. You know, if our relationships revolve around people who are like us, in age, singles, marrieds, young parents, retired, youths, university students, young adults, young working adults, you know, if we just spend time with people who are like us, then we've got to ask, right, how, how is that different from the world? You know, the world does community really well. The world gets community, right? The, the world builds focus groups, interest groups, affinity groups, hobby groups, all kinds of groups centered around commonalities. The world does community really well. So if we love in that way, then I would say we're no different from the world because the world does that too. But what the world doesn't get is a whiteness of love that encompasses people who are not like us. That, that goes out of our way, that, that moves me out of my comfort zone, that moves me out of my convenience, and puts me in places where I'm challenged to love differently, to love people who are different from me. That's what it means to love widely. Love deeply as well. We, we love by building deeper relationships with one another. You know, we love deeply when we're not content, we're not satisfied with superficial socialising, but when we're giving time and energy to build spiritual friendships with one another. Spiritual friendships are, are friendships that help one another become more like Jesus. We, we're, we're speaking the truth of Jesus into one another's lives. That, that's what spiritual friendships are, so that we become more and more like our Saviour. And we speak the truth of Jesus even when it's inconvenient, even when it makes us uncomfortable or makes the other person uncomfortable. We speak the truth of Jesus even when it's difficult. And that's what it means to, to love deeply, to, to share struggles, to, to share encouragement because we desire each other's growth in Christ. So, so that's how we make the gospel attractive to the world. Love widely, love deeply. So that's the first encouragement, know our mission. The second encouragement, look back, look back. Look back on our lives and see how God has been at work in us. So two things about looking back. Number one, learn from past failures. Uh, this is really from chapter 1, verses 19 to 46. I won't read all the verses. I'll just highlight a couple of verses. You know, as the saying goes, right, those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. You know, Moses reminds Israel in his sermon, how they had turned away from God. Now, God has faithfully brought them out of Egypt to the edge of the promised land, and, and God's gift of the land was there for the taking. Right? You read about this in Numbers, right? They're poised to enter the promised land, but what happens? They refuse to obey. Chapter 1, verse 26, you would not go up but rebel against the command of the Lord your God. It's disobedience. They refused to go into the land. Now, why did Israel not obey? 
right? What, what's the cause of their disobedience? Fear. Fear. It was because they feared the inhabitants of Canaan. Now listen to chapter 1, verse 28. Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying the people are greater and taller than we, the, the cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Now that, that's an expression of hopelessness, right? Say, hey, this is too much for us. We, we can't do it. And because we can't do it, we're not going to even, we're not even going to try. We refuse to go in. Now, we, we give in to fear when all we see is the problem in front of us. Difficulties discourage us. And you notice how fear is contagious? Our brothers have made our hearts melt. You know, when, when we are fearful, you know, we don't just affect ourselves, but when we are fearful, we influence others as well. You know, we, we cause others to, to lose heart. The people around us, you know, they start losing heart as well because we are fearful. Now, fear is really common. Right? Fear is really common. We're all fearful. How do we fear? You know, how has fear caused us to disobey God? You know, let me give you just some common examples of fear. Fear of man. That's a very common one, fear of man. How do we know we fear man? You know, we, we're afraid of making someone upset. We're afraid of losing someone's approval. So we don't talk to them about sin. So we don't talk to them about Jesus. Fear of man. Fear of failure. You know, we're afraid of something not working out and being criticized. So we just don't do it. Fear of failure. No fear of, uh, fear of the unknown. Right? I think Israel feared the unknown. And, and so they, it sort of paralyzed them. Right? They, they didn't want to do anything because they didn't want to step into the unknown. Fear of discomfort. You know, Singaporeans are great at pursuing convenience and comfort. So we fear the loss of comfort and convenience. We fear being put out or, or being inconvenienced in any way. And we, we fear life being difficult, so we make decisions that are pragmatic, right? oftentimes according to not God's wisdom, but according to the world's values and wisdom. The fear of discomfort. So fear leads Israel to disobey God. And why was Israel afraid? So why was Israel fearful? Fear comes from unbelief. Look at verse 32, chapter 1, verse 32. Yet in spite of of this word, you know, God's promise, yet in spite of God's word, you did not believe the Lord your God. Unbelief. Now, we give in to fear often when we stop trusting God. Like Israel, we forget how God has graciously redeemed us from sin through His Son, Jesus Christ. You know, we, we lose sight of how God has been with us each step of the way and how He will carry us home to be with Him. So in, in, the, in this part of Deuteronomy, we, we see this downward spiral in Israel's life. This downward spiral from unbelief to fear to disobedience and then to complaining. Listen to verse, chapter 1, verse 27. 
and you murmured. You murmured in your tents. You know, they, they didn't complain openly. They didn't come up to Moses all the time, but they murmured in their homes, in your tents, privately. They were talking behind Moses' back. You murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us. That is amazing. It's an amazing motivation to pin on God, right? God, you must hate us because you brought us to this difficult place. Uh, you led us through difficulty. You must hate us. You, know, you really want to kill us. You don't have good, you don't have good intended for us. You, know, you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Fear, unbelief leads to fear, to disobedience, and to complaining, not just complaining against Moses, ultimately complaining against God himself. You know, friends, we, we need to ask this about ourselves as well. Every time we complain, who are we really complaining against? What, what's at the root of our complaining? So Moses shares this with Israel because he wants to show them that sin slows us down. You know, the journey from Mount Sinai to the Promised Land was supposed to take how many days? Just 11 days. 11 days from Mount Sinai where they received the law to the promised land. How long did the journey take, Israel? Supposed to take them 11 days. How long did the journey actually take them? Anyone? 40 years. 11 days versus 40 years. No, sin slows us down. Sin wasted an entire generation. Now, except for Caleb and Joshua, now, none of those who left Egypt actually made it to the Promised Land. That's amazing, right? Only Caleb and Joshua, two out of the entire generation that left Egypt. You know, and, and it's amazing because this was the very generation that saw firsthand the wonders of God in, in rescuing them from Egypt, and yet none of them made it except for Caleb and Joshua. Even Moses himself, Aaron, they didn't make it into the promised land either. Now, friends, imagine how much more we could do for the gospel if we were less fearful. How much more could we do for the gospel if we were less complaining, if we, trust, if we truly trusted God and, and launched out in faith? And I say this to myself, and I say this to all of us as well. I, I say this to my kids. Obey right away, all the way, and with a happy heart. Obey right away, all the way, and with a happy heart. You know, that's, that's what God is calling us to do as His people. To, to take hold of His promises and to launch out in faith, obeying Him, trusting in Him. So second point, as we look back, remember... And be encouraged by God's faithfulness. This is really the book of chapter 2 and chapter 3. You know, in spite of Israel's faithlessness, God remains faithful to them. He still keeps His promise to bless Abraham and his descendants. And in chapters 2 and 3, Moses recounts how God has, has persevered with Israel. You know, he's been really patient with them, leading the nation through the wilderness. You know, it says in chapter 2, verse 7, these 40 years... The Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. Now, God also defeated Israel's enemies, King 
Sion and King Og. And, and, and Moses reminds them, chapter 3, verse 21 and 22, your eyes have seen all that the Lord has done to these two kings. So, so will the Lord do to all the kingdoms into which you are crossing. You shall not fear them. You shall not, don't give in to fear, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. It's one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture, right? The Lord our God fights for us. He, he's a divine warrior who flexes his muscles, as it were, to fight on behalf of his people, for us. Friends, as we, as we look back, as we look back on our lives, we should be encouraged by God's unwavering faithfulness to every single one of us who are His people. God has never left us. God has never forsaken us. Even in our darkest hour, God is there. He is with us. Now, how do we know God is faithful? What's the clearest evidence that we, that we see of God's faithfulness? It's His Son, Jesus Christ. That the clearest evidence that God is with us, that God will never leave us nor forsake us. Jesus faithfully went to the cross. You know, he, he faithfully came to fulfill all of God's promises. He faithfully went to the cross to die in the place of the faithless. Jesus died for spiritual adulterers like us who are faithless. Those of us who have been unfaithful to God, Jesus laid down His life as the faithful one for us. And His resurrection from the dead shows that He has fought for us. Jesus is the God who fights for us. And His resurrection shows that Jesus is victorious. He's triumphant. He's defeated our greatest enemies of sin and death. The enemies that we could never defeat on our own. And, and one day, Jesus will, in His faithfulness, come back to complete our salvation, as He has promised. And Jesus' faithfulness should encourage us and motivate us to be faithful to God. We should also learn about God's faithfulness from one another in the church. Share with one another stories of God's faithfulness in your lives. Different generations of Christians can really benefit from one another's encouragement. You know, older, older Christians are always encouraged when they see younger Christians uh, giving themselves to the Lord, bringing energy and new ideas to following Jesus. You know, younger Christians are always encouraged when they see older saints persevering and walking faithfully to the end of life. You know, older and younger Christians can really encourage one another. So I pray that as a church, we'll be intentional about discipling one another across generational lines, across demographic lines, the, the lines that so easily separate us in the world. Now I pray that we as a church will cross all of these lines and, and really disciple one another together, older men with younger men. And older men, even this week, why don't you think about connecting with a younger guy in church, meet him for lunch, meet him for coffee, Younger men seeking out older saints, asking them for time to just spend with them and, and hear about God's faithfulness in their lives. Older women with younger women, young adults with youths, marrieds and singles discipling one another, older married couples with younger married couples, 
Uh, that's something that we hope to do with our marriage preparation as well. Uh, you know, that you know, as, as couple, you know, if, if you're a couple and you're deciding to get married, one of the first things you should do is, is come, come find one of the elders. You know, come find myself, Ian, or one of the other elders. Come, come speak to us so that we can get to know you, that we can invest time to spend with you and help you prepare for your life together as a married couple. And older married couples, you can do that for the young married couples around you. Open your lives to them so that they can receive encouragement from you about how to live out their lives as married couples. Biblical discipleship is a a multi-generational work. It it doesn't work if we just keep to our demographic. That's not how Scripture thinks about discipleship. It's a multi-generational work. It's a cross-demographic work that cuts across all these demographic lines. Because, that, because the church is family. The church is not a, a social club, but it's family. And any family has multiple generations. Any family has multiple generations speaking and encouraging one another. You know, and, and oftentimes, when we, when we don't avail ourselves to these multi-generational relationships, I think we, we miss out. We, we, we don't see the vastness of God's faithfulness across time, across the different seasons of life. Now, if, if I just stick to my small little circle of friends who are just like me, I actually miss out seeing this expanse of God's faithfulness across groups of people. And so, so we really need to build relationships that go across all these lines to see the greatness of God's faithfulness to the old, to the young, to singles, to marrieds, to those with young children, to those with older children, and so on. Now, I'm praying that our community groups, so if you're in a community group, great, or if you're in a CG or a care group, great. I, I pray that our CGs will become more diverse, that they will reflect this multi-generational, cross-demographic way of discipling. I pray that our groups will become more diverse, our ministries will become more and more diverse. And I pray that we will even sit in a different spot every week on Sundays, right? So that we mingle with people whom we don't normally see. So where you sit downstairs at the fellowship hall, maybe consider sitting somewhere else. So I'm messing up a bit, right? Where you sit in service on Sunday, sit somewhere else. You know? Turn to the people around you on Sundays as you sit somewhere else and just talk with them. Get to know them. Maybe older people sit with the younger people. Younger people get out and sit with the older people. Mix around. I think this is what family is. This is what church community should be. The third exhortation from Deuteronomy 1 to 4. Move forward. Look back. Move forward. It's really taken from, most of this is taken from chapter 4. So how should we move forward in faithfulness to God and His people? Number one, we keep ourselves in God's Word. Listen to verse 1 and 2 of chapter 4. And now, O Israel, listen. Hear. Listen. Listen to the statutes and the rules that I'm teaching you. And don't just listen. Do them that you may live. And go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep, guard, treasure, cherish, keep. Keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. God has spoken clearly to us through His Word, through His Son, through His Word. 
And, and really, we, we move forward. We show that we love God. How? By, by loving His Word, by loving His truth. So Moses reminds Israel, and Moses says to us, listen carefully to God's Word. Why? Because faith and life come from hearing the Word of God. His truth makes us wise. So Moses says, make every effort to keep yourself in the Word of God. Read, study, learn the Bible. You know, commit to reading the Bible regularly as an individual Christian. Now, I think many of us struggle to do this consistently. But I encourage us, persevere. You know, persevere, do, do what you can to read the Bible regularly. And oftentimes, you know, one of the best encouragements to be in the Bible is to read the Bible with someone else. Right? You know, on, on our own, it can be a bit discouraging because we, we have trouble being disciplined. But sometimes when we meet with someone else and say, hey, let's commit to meeting together to read the Bible with each other, that, that encourages us to be disciplined, to, to be in the Word regularly with someone else. So if you have trouble committing to reading on your own, why don't you commit to reading with someone else and, let, and have the other person encourage you to be in God's Word. Now, be an active hearer of God's Word. Now, active hearers are those who are doers of God's Word as well. That's what it means to be an active hearer of God's Word. And really, Moses says we, we guard our hearts, we keep ourselves, guard our hearts by keeping ourselves in God's Word. Listen to verse 9, chapter 4, verse 9. Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Now, every time we hear God's word, we are reminded of how God has saved us. And we are reminded of how God is still saving us, making us more like Jesus. And we are reminded of how God will one day save us when Jesus returns and brings us home. No, we, need, we need to be in the Word to remind us of what God is doing in our lives so that we don't lose heart, so that we don't lose sight of God and His faithfulness to us. We must teach this gospel to our children. And when, when I say children, you know, it's not just our biological children, but really it's, it's the children in this community. The, the children whom God has entrusted to all of us as His people, we are responsible for discipling one another's children as well so that we together know God. You know, that's why we do family dedications. You know, we don't call them baby dedications, but we call them family dedications because we're dedicating this, these families, but we're also dedicating ourselves as the church family to care for these families and children whom God has entrusted to us. What does that mean? It means more of us should be serving in kids' ministry. Right? It means more of us should be involved in teaching children, whether formally in children's ministry or informally, you know, just spending time with one another's children, getting to know them, not just knowing them as so-and-so's kids, but getting to know them as people in their own right and discipling them. It means that we should be discipling youths in our midst as well, not just leave it to the youth ministry team, but, but all of us. As God gives us opportunity, we should be getting to know the youths, discipling them, helping them to follow Jesus because they are part of this family of faith that, that God's entrusted to us. Discipling the young adults in our midst. 
You know, there's so much deciding that can happen if we just cross these lines and look at ourselves as a family together. Just a word, you know, just a word of encouragement to the parents especially. You know, parents, don't, don't try to disciple the children on your own. Don't try to disciple your children on your own. You know, it, it takes a church to raise a child. And, and church, don't leave parents to struggle on their own. Help them. Encourage them. Oh, babysit for them. Babysit for us. <laughs> so, sorry, that was advertisement. <laughs> so, keep ourselves in God's Word. Keep ourselves in God's Word. Second one, just close with this. Behold our God. Behold our God. If, if we are to move forward in faithfulness to God, we must anchor our confidence not in ourselves, but in God Himself. And we need to have an honest view of ourselves. We need to think of ourselves not too highly. Why? Because we will fail. We will fail. I, I will fail as a pastor. I will fail as a parent. We will fail. Like, like Israel in the Old Testament, we too are prone to leave the God we should love. That, therefore, we mustn't trust in our own good works. We mustn't trust in our own morality or strength of character. Rather, we are to rely on God Himself. This God who saves us through His Son and empowers us by His Spirit. We will fail, but God does not fail. God will not fail. He cannot fail. No, he has committed Himself in a covenant relationship with His people, a covenant relationship that cannot be broken. And this God has promised to never let us go in spite of ourselves. Now listen to this verse, chapter 4, verse 31. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that He swore to them. And in verses 32 to 40, Moses calls Israel to behold God's greatness. He is our Creator. He has spoken His word to us. He has revealed His glory to us through His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our Redeemer. And He has rescued us from sin's darkness and brought us into the marvellous light of His glorious kingdom. Listen to these verses, 30, 34 and 35. Has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for Himself from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt, before your eyes. To you, it was shown that you, us, might know that the Lord is God. God has saved us that we might know that the Lord is God. Friends, behold our God. He is our confidence. He is our trust. Even as we, we are called to move forward in faithfulness, He is the one that we look to. Not ourselves, not our abilities, not our programs, not this building, not our finances. He is the one that we look to. He is ever faithful, not just in our generation, but He's ever faithful across generations throughout all ages. And this God has redeemed us in Christ. And He calls us, to trust Him, 
He calls us to follow Him, to obey Him. Friends, will we do that? Will we know this God and trust Him? Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank You and praise You. You indeed are an amazing God. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for how Your Word reveals Your glory. We thank You for Your Son, Jesus, whom is the supreme display of Your glory. And Father, as we come to You in prayer, we acknowledge that we need You. Father, even as we hear of Israel's sin, we, we, also, are, we also remember our own failures. Father, we have not lived as we ought. We have not done as we ought. We have often grown cold. Our love for you has been weak. And, and Father, we come to you in our faithlessness and we trust you because you are the faithful one. We lean not upon our own strength, but we lean on you, upon your grace, upon your mercy. We thank you for Jesus and we pray that you would help us to trust him. Help us to venture forward in faith, not in fear, but in faith, trusting in Him, knowing that He is good, that His promises are true, and that He has made us Your people to display Your glory among the nations. So Father, we pray that You strengthen our hearts, help us to launch out as a people of faith, looking to You, walking in Your ways. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.